The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Hi everyone, I am Macca19 and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast coming to you live once again on Port Fan Radio and joining me as co-host, as always, we've got the Rickster. How are you, mate? Mate, how are you? Good, good. What's going on? Oh, just ate a chocolate royal biscuit. Awesome. Beautiful. I haven't had, I haven't one, had one of them in about 10 years, I reckon. No? No? They, mm. they were... I don't mind them. I remember when I went through my one of my first life crises when I left somebody and uh, I reckon I ploughed down a whole packet one night. They were... Uh, they're a good recovery biscuit, those ones. Easy to do. Easy to do. And I highly recommend... The Mount Pleasant lamb cutlets crumbed—they are friggin' awesome. I just ate about four of them, so Sounds nice. get get there. That's where my son works, so get there and get some. All right. Anyway, I digress. Sounds good. And back on the podcast once again, we've got Portia. Hello, how's it going? Good, good. Welcome back. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. Looking forward to the game Hello. this weekend. Indeed, should be a ripper Saturday night. Hopefully a uh, a bumper crowd. I'm I'm expecting more than forty five thousand. I have to say, isn't mm-hmm. it? A, isn't it a good thing that Port Bulldogs is an interesting game? You know, in the last few it years, is. it's sort of it's been one of those games which has been a little bit difficult to get motivated for. Um, no, you know, with the preview show, so. I don't think it's for good reasons, though, Rick, because if we were sort of, if we had met our pre-season expectations of being in the top four, this would be a nothing game. So I don't know if that's oh. necessarily a good thing. This is interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I still, th- I still think it would have been an interesting game, just where the Bulldogs are with their season. Yeah. Well, they have got yeah. a lot of young players coming up that are making it interesting that maybe we don't know a lot about at this point. So that that's good, I suppose. Absolutely. Mm. The rejuvenated yeah. Robert Murphy. Indeed. I mean, the season's on the line for probably both of us. I mean, yeah. you know, what are we sitting, like, not 11th? Bulldogs are sitting 9th. They've probably slowed down in, in recent weeks. So yeah. it could be a pretty good game. Very interesting game. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, it's it's certainly um, important for Port. But um, I guess it's more important for Port because, obviously, uh, we had those high expectations at the start of the year. So there's that fear of failure coming in. I just wonder if that'll be a, a factor. Um Certainly, that's something that I think every team in the AFL, um, when they're at these sorts of tipping points, they can go two ways, and quite often they do just sort of tank, and then they feel like, oh, we've lost it all, and then they get back in it. So, just because we beat Melbourne, I'm not entirely convinced we're out of the woods yet. Um, no, we'll definitely not. Yeah. Well, this this week will answer some stories, but uh, or some questions. But I uh, I also uh, thought it was interesting that Port Adelaide's uh, putting in a World Cup bid for 2018. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. It's look, it's a fantastic ground, Albert and Oval, and uh, I'm sure that uh, four and twenty would uh, bump up the sponsorship if we did win the bid. So that's, uh, I think, it's a good idea. Absolutely. I heard it's gone cheap now. It's at fair market price, so no longer is it twenty five billion. It's come back to uh, ten million. No way. What? <laughs> ten million. <laughs> yeah, banana. I thought you would have said it was like went down from twenty five billion to twenty four point five billion. That'd probably be closer to the mark. I would have thought. Well, with the whole corruption uh, investigation going on, it uh, yeah, yeah it will have a bit of a devaluation. It could be one of those things where um, just because one person's been found out for corruption, um, corruption watchdogs are probably loath to take down the entire sport. And you can bet that there'll be other countries still trying to be corrupt and get that World Cup bid or get every World Cup bid mm-hmm. in the future. There's just been a show trial, and it won't change practice because I'm sure everyone's doing it. Yeah, mm, absolutely. No doubt. Well, look, so we've had a we tweet start? already from uh, from Al, who is uh, very excited. Porsche is on the podcast tonight, so oh, oh. thanks, Al. You've got go. a fan following Porsche. I know. How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> so where are we starting well, look, tonight? Well, look, before we start on the preview, I thought we uh, better talk about um, Hamish Hartlett's 100th game this week, uh, which has been probably a bit of a long time coming. Mm. I think he's missed around about 47 games along the way through various sort of injuries, shoulder reconstructions, hamstrings, quads, suspensions, you know, you name it, he's pretty much uh, injured it along the way. 
Um, it has been a long time coming, but uh, well deserved. Yeah, look, um, he's been a pretty, he's been a, I suppose, a frustrating player in a lot of ways, and not a lot of it's his fault, obviously, with the injury. Um, but yeah, good on him for getting to 100. That's great. Um, hopefully, his kids will not inherit his uh, injury tendency, and they'll also go on to play for Port Adelaide, which would be fantastic. But <laughs> he's certainly put yeah. in the effort to, um, and as much as we were talking about trading him um, previously, it's probably worth just letting that rest for a week and um, enjoy the moment. I think. Really, the enigma. Come yeah. on. So, who's got favourite? Uh, that's unlike you, actually, Porsche. You're very, uh, you're very mercenary with these sort of opinions. So, well, they showing us soft... all the time. Uh, it's showing a softer side to you. You're opening yourself up to us. <laughs> uh, well, look, I mean, I've got, a, I don't know, I've got a different expectation, maybe to a lot of people, of what we should expect from Hartlett. Uh, so, we've talked. I heard you guys talking on Monday about. Um, how you know he's got this potential to be this game-breaking midfielder, and he does. But I think I've said previously that he's more like our Stuart Jew. Um, and Stuart Jew was a great player. He had some really fantastic moments. But as far as his consistency in breaking games open, it wasn't always there. But it did come through in, at some pretty important mm. times. I just don't think he's ever going to be that player that sort of goes out and gets 30 touches every week and kicks three goals because that's that's hardly any player at all. That's Chris Judd pretty much and that's about it. Um, so I don't think that's a realistic expectation even if he does have the talent because he's obviously got a lot of other things getting in his way as well. So what were your favourite games? Uh, I said on the board today that mine was this, um, I think, was it against Carlton, his three goals and uh, yeah. at Etihad oh, Stadium yeah. and where he kicked that one from on the run from about 80 metres. Uh, which was just, yeah, that was an amazing goal. And uh, I thought that was a fantastic, one of his, probably my favourite game from Hamish. Yeah. Yeah, that was against Essendon, I reckon, where he kicked that mo- yeah. a couple of monster goals um, straight out of the centre. And, you know, that was exhilarating. The game against Carlton at, uh, at Footy Park, where he kicked three goals, had 26 touches, best on ground. That was great. Mm. And I've got to say his debut, very underrated as well. You know, he, uh, he tore it up on debut, had 23 touches, 11 marks and... You know, it was a sign of things to come in regards to his talent. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's fair enough. Um, I have to say I don't actually have a favourite game for Hamish. Um, I guess I never had that moment where I've... And it's probably why I have talked about him in trade in the past is I never had that moment where I sort of thought, ah, that's what he does for us. Um, I don't know. He's certainly put in some excellent performances though over time, but um, I've always thought he's been probably slightly overshadowed in most of them as well, which is, again, not his fault. He's done quite well. Well, I'm still sort of confused where his position is, to be honest. Uh, it's probably a position that doesn't exist with us, which is um, ideally uh, half forward kicking to leading forwards, um, which mm. ideally we have, but you have to have leading forwards to make the other part of that work. Um, mm. So I think that would be an ideal sort of position. But I also think the length of his kick is really useful um, when he's on the defensive side of the square, which is not... a a great use of him, but it is useful from a tactical perspective because the fact that he can kick long and he can kick short, if he was a better long kick, I suppose, a more accurate long kick, that had automatically required um, the opposition defence to spread their zoning a lot wider, which creates more potential gaps. So um, I think that that one asset he has is one that could be used very well tactically in defence, but the rest of his game says he's a half forward, I think. Um, So I don't know that it necessarily works. Could he's he be a liquid a midfielder. Shan- That's what I'd call him. Sorry? Could he be a Shannon Hearn type? He's a liquid, liquid midfielder is what I'd call liquid him. Liquid midfielder. Mm. He's got like a midfielder, but he's a half back and he's a half forward. He sort of he so roams he around. He's a, he, yeah, he's probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. Midfield I utility. That, <laughs> I hope he's in the top five and yep. you could use that analogy in your player reviews. A <laughs> liquid midfielder. I will. Yes. I've never heard that term before. Bit like hunky Bre- breaking new ground on the podcast here. Yep, yep. You might need a, a little lexicon like we do for things like two weeks and whatever else. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm chucking hunky dory in for Mr. Tinkle. He wants to hear that more often. Hunky dory. So can we can we just get straight to the point here um, and talk about the Sam Gray Nathan Cracker fiasco? Because I'm with you, Matt. It's the biggest. <laughs> It's the biggest overreaction and meltdown on the board I think I've ever seen. Oh. Since last week. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. I disagree because there's two disasters here. Um, one of them was predictable. 
Um, in fact, both of them were really predictable, and I suppose that's why there probably would be a, an outburst on the board. Um, the first one was at the draft time last year when we were saying, let's draft Nathan Cracker, and everyone was kind of stunned he wasn't sort of drafted like the last pick on the list. And I understand why that was, and it was because we wanted to get Logan Austin and... Um, I've got... What's the other one's name? <laughs> anyway, before Billy the... Yeah, yeah, before GWS uh, snatched them up as their development players at the priority in the rookie list, and I understand why we did that, but the reality was that Nathan Cracker was only ever going to um, be useful to us if he was available to play games, and so in that respect, it could say it was a tactical oversight. Uh, and the second one, of course, is, uh, of course, um, having him in the side, he's done really well, and then just dropping him for no apparent reason. I'd, look, I don't get it. You could say it's a balanced thing and maybe we want more forward power than uh, an extra halfback flanker, and that's not an unreasonable perspective to take. Um, but I, it smells too much like bad list management at this point rather than actually being a, a tactical consideration. Mm. I'm going to disagree. I don't know. We've got... Uh, if he played this week, we would have Pittard, Jonas, Broadbent, Impey and Cracker in the team as back flankers. And, and we just don't need that many small defenders in the side. Whereas I think Sam Gray adds something a little bit different to the side. And look, if I had my way, I'd probably have someone else in the team other than Sam Gray. But I don't think it's uh, it's the end of the world that um, he's getting another game this week after he played arguably his best game of AFL footy last week. Well, or certainly his, his best half of football last week. Yeah, but and if you take... I don't know. I'd, if you take all the players in our in the side as named that play halfback flank primarily, um, there's more than you just named. There's also what Carl Amon doesn't he play that? Paul Stewart usually plays that. Um, Tom Cleary is not, not at the moment. The, you not know, at the moment, though. not at the moment. But Pe- people not, are saying we're, we pick Sam Gray pick, over but, Nathan Cracker, but we're actually picking Jarman Impey over Nathan Cracker. Yeah, well, because <laughs> they play essentially the exact same role. And at the moment, I would probably prefer Impey in the side rather than Cracker because Impey's fitter and is a li- little bit more dynamic, I reckon. But look, Craig, Cracker's had a, a fantastic run in the team and he's you know performed exceptionally well. And I have no doubt in two weeks' time when we're allowed to free upgrade, he'll be straight back on the senior list and straight back in the side again. That just makes it idiotic, though. Like, if, if we know he's coming straight back in the side, then why are we dropping him? It just... It seems arbitrary and... It doesn't look like it's an actual tactical decision. Like I said, it just looks like it's poor list management. Because at the moment we've got an influx of um, an influx of back flankers. But don't we always? Got... That's how we structured our list. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I think we've well... lost Rick here for uh, for the time being. Well, we well we talk about MP versus Cracker, but why is it necessarily a one for one? I mean, we talk about Jarman MP potentially being a future tagger. And we've got Carl Amon in the side. Is Carl Amon necessarily better than both Impey and Cracker? You know, well, they perform different roles. Well, lots of people perform different roles. That's, they're meant to be versatile. I don't know. I don't know. I don't mind the decision. I, I don't understand the... Uh, look, I understand that people don't particularly like Sam Gray. And that's fine on some sort of level. But, you know, he's in the team. I think we've got to get around him. And I don't see any way that he would have been dropped this week after how he played last week. Well, I mean, yeah, I, but... I, I've got to say, I, I criticise the Sam Gray inclusion probably less than the Nathan Cracker exclusion um, because, he, as you said, he is going to play a different sort of position that we don't have a lot of depth in because of how we've got our list structured right now. Um, yeah, so I'd agree on that part. As much as I'm not particularly keen on Sam Gray uh, as a player going on the list, going forward, um, of the ones that are available right now and vaguely inform me is probably one of the better ones. Hmm. Outrageous. My other issue would be that um, Cracker just isn't fit enough to play a full game at AFL level. And this isn't a myth, it is fact. He's really struggled in second halves this year. He's been fantastic up to half time and then really struggled to run out the game after that. Um, you know, he's regularly only getting sort of between 65 and 70% game time, which is well down on what other players in his position are, are getting as well. So I think that also has a, a bit of an impact on why he's been excluded this week as well. Um, yep. Uh, I don't know. Does Matt White play a full game at the moment? Uh, I think he's probably had more game time than what, um, than what Crackers had. Yeah. He's in and out of the game just as much as uh, 
cracker over the full full journey, but yeah. um, I think he can he can run run out the game though. But I mean, look, when I, I spoke to a couple of people uh, before the season started, and they said he was good, but he's just nowhere near fit enough, right? Mm. And and that's not and that's not an indictment on Nathan. He was coming from a long oh. way back, so oh, yeah. I mean. I mean, to get, I don't know how many games has he played, eight games? I think eight, to get eight games out of Nathan and his bonus. I think, I think this year was um, dip your toe in the water as a rookie. Let's see if we can get your fitness up, how you go, and let's look for next year. So, I mean, what he's been able to show the club is he's got the goods to be able to get promoted, and I would imagine that he will get promoted onto the list for next year and, uh, and good on him. And I guess if there's an opportunity to re-promote him, uh, if there's another unfortunate injury, well, I guess they might they might look at that. But I, I missed obviously I dropped out, so I missed some of your conversation about Sam Gray. But um, I'm of the opinion that who who else is there that can play that forward pocket small forward role that we've got him um, and Jake Need really they're the they're the two players on our list at this point in time. Yeah, I agree. That's sort of what we said, I think. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's what I mean. I missed that. So. I mean, I can see why, um, you know, we've got a surplus of running backs. We've got a shortage of small forwards. Jake Needs really not in, wasn't in the same form in the SANFL as what Sam Gray was. Um, so Sam Gray deserves that opportunity. It's just a quirk of nature in, in AFL lists, I guess, that, and how it's, how it's transpired. But, um, you know, I'm just grateful to see Nathan play and play well. Okay, well, can I? I'd, I'd like to get something on record here then, and people on Twitter can um, tweet in with their thing. Um, if Nathan like Nathan Cracker was on the full list, so he wasn't on the rookie list, would you have dropped him this week? Uh, potentially, Quite possibly, because the Bulldogs are a hard-running side, and uh, I'm with Mac. I'm in the Macca camp, you know, because we look after each other, don't we, Bud? And um, <laughs> yeah, with our views, and uh, yeah, I, I reckon we probably. No offence to Nathan with the comment that I'm about to say, but I think he could have he could have been a liability against the Bulldogs with their their hard running game. Very interesting. Macca. I, I also don't think the dogs have that great a group of uh, small forwards, so we don't need five small defenders in the team. Basically, I mean they've got Tom Boyd who you would expect Carlisle will play on. Jake String is back in the side this week. That's great for them. Stuart Crammery is back in the side this week. That's great for them. Outside of that, they've got Jared Grant, who's a, you know, 194 centimetres. And then they've got Kobe Stevens and the uh, the debutant in um, uh, Toby McLean. And that's probably about it in terms of their small forwards. So I, I just don't think... You know, I'm, I'm seeing this as more sort of horses for courses this week. If they had a better group of uh, small forwards... Cracker might well have um, stayed in the team and they might have organised, you know, Sam Gray to drop out or, or go back on the rookie list or something like that. Uh, I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's necessarily a great way to look at it is one-on-one matchups when I think both of our sides rely on sort of a group defence. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if an individual... It's not like Nathan Cracker is a shut-down backman and it's not like we really have any completely shut-down small backman in the side right now. I would argue we don't. Um, so I don't know if that's a one-on-one matchup. Oh, yeah. Yeah, MP probably. That'd be it. But that's one small forward that's been shut down. So, I, I, But we're going with that every week. We're not bringing in other shut-down small defenders at all. Um, so I'm not, sh- I'm not sure that's really an entirely relevant argument in this case. Mm. I don't know. For me, it's, through, it's the same issue as, um, as people saying, well, why isn't Andrew Moore in the side? Well... I don't think we're going to be playing Ollie Wines and Aaron Young and Andrew Moore when they basically play the exact same role. And it would be one sort of, you know, slow, sluggish inside midfielder too much. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, let's turn the thing on them as well. Those three you just mentioned, are they all capable of running out a full game? I mean, sometimes when you overload a position, and it's certainly what we do with halfbacks, but when you overload a position um, with guys that can all do the role, it's because you want to have them at peak fitness so they can maximise their performance. So why wouldn't you necessarily want to maximise the performance of your your slow inside midfielder so that they can take hits all game and still be extracting? I'm not saying that's what we should do, but why wouldn't Mm. you? Yeah, I don't know. Because that's what we do with our halfbacks, to keep them fresh. So if we look at what the most important positions on the ground are, particularly in this game, 
Um, it's really going to be about winning it in midfield. I mean, they've got some really good centre square midfielders, and they're not soft. Um, so we really need our extractors to be on form. So right now, if we get an injury to Wines um, early in the game, we're going to be kind of weak in that department. I would have thought. Um, I'm not again. I'm well, not you... saying that Andrew Moore comes in on form or that we necessarily need him for this game, but I wouldn't say there's necessarily an argument against it. Have we moved on from Nathan Cracker to Aaron Young now? Have we? Kinda. Yeah. Kinda. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to go back yeah. over old news. That's all. No, that's I fine. Mean, I mean, because we, yeah. Well, I guess it's interesting. The selection of Aaron Young, who's the only change for this week, is um, was Andrew Moore probably more deserving of an opportunity this week than than Aaron Young. Aaron Young was best on ground in the SA NFL last week, so by that you'd probably say Youngy deserves his crap. But I, I'm, some people over there thought uh, Andrew Moore was best on ground, so I guess it was one of those line ball. I, I just assume that Young's had an opportunity, and maybe it was Andrew's uh, time to get a shot now. But if the coaches decided that Aaron Young was best on ground, then yeah. they're the ones matter. that picked the team. So yeah. it doesn't matter what Joe Bloggs in the stand thinks, really. I don't know. In I rate to Finn Moore's opinion ground, really, really highly. So do I. He's a great he's, a, he's, a, he's an astute judge. And if he says yeah. that Andrew Moore was best on ground, I'm going to go with him over the coaches because what do they know? He's a Fair very enough, too. Finbar's a fantastic fella. I guess it he's comes down fella. to flexibility in the senior side as opposed to performance in the second side. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I see your point, though. And uh, so I guess what? We've removed a halfback flanker. Uh, defender and replaced him with a with a prime mover midfielder. Is that how you guys would see it? Yep. Uh, okay. Yeah. Or yeah. In, in, an inside yeah. midfielder, prime not a prime mover. I'm, I'm still categorising Young as a utility at this point, but yeah. Yeah. I'll say well, midfielder, not prime yeah. mover. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have to get these words right, otherwise civilization collapses. Yeah, well, that's true. I, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to overstate the guy's capabilities. Hopefully he does evolve into a, a prime mover soon. But I guess one thing that I noticed when you pointed out the uh, the key the forwards for Bulldogs is uh, without Jackson this week, they're actually their forwards are going to create interesting uh, mismatches for us because we're going to be lacking that mm. taller uh, shutdown defender, which Jackson probably might have worked on Boyd. So... Yeah, you've got. Um, I'm a bit worried about um, Stringer with potentially Jonas going on him, especially with Jonas's recent form. I think we'll probably play Homsch on Stringer. To be honest, I, I reckon that's probably a better mm-hmm. matchup. Yep. Homsch has got the pace and the size and the and the strength to go with him. Jonas probably doesn't have the the pace to go with uh, Stringer at this point. I mm. don't reckon. But you know, Stringer will probably play on Jared Grant or or maybe Roughhead, someone like that. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I think... Um, Who's going to play on Grant or Ruffin? Probably Jonas, I would oh, say. I thought, said, I thought you said yeah. Stringer. He did. You're no, I think me. Hobbs will play on Stringer. Jonas will play on Grant or Ruffin. No, what about Cramery? Cramery, probably... Well, I mean, Jonas could play that role as well, or maybe Broadbent. Well, then who goes on the other one? Well, then Cleary. I mean, Cleary might play on Ruffin. Jonas True. Might go I f- on oh, really? I forgot about young Tom. Well, Ruffhead's think- 200 centimetres tall, so we need someone with a bit of height that can, um, you know, yeah. sort of help reach him. And, and Cleary's probably the only other player outside of Carlisle. I mean, we might play... I mean, there's no guarantee that Ruffhead will even play forward. So That's true. So this is, this is my point. There's, without Jackson this week, we are coming up against a bit of a mismatch with uh, with key matchups in the... Uh, in their forward 50. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, guess... I don't think Ruffhead's played forward all year. He's been named there, but I don't think he's mm. played forward all year. He's uh, currently sitting on one behind and no marks inside 50 for the year. So <laughs> mm. chances are he'll, he, he normally plays as a key defender if he's not rucking. So chances are he'll, you know, slot back in defense or something like that. I've got to say the one thing that sort of concerns me about how we're describing the dogs forward line is um, the old game Choco used to play every time we played the Bulldogs back when, in what, middle of the last decade. Um, which was just we put every tall player in the side and play them all up forward and they couldn't cope with it. Um, and we did that every time. It was quite hilarious. Yeah. And I'm just sort of wondering if they're trying to do the same thing back to us for a change. Um, <laughs> they might. Who knows? But yeah. um, Well, it would have been interesting to play someone like Butcher this week because 
you know, their sort of key defenders aren't, you know, all that crash hot. They've got Fletcher Roberts and Joel Hamling, who've played about 15 games between them. So, you know, it would have been interesting if Ryder was fit, you know, if he came back in and the sort of impact he might have had. Yeah. So what's the uh, what's the weather forecast? Have we got any amateur um, meteorologists out there? Is uh, is it going to be a dry game, or is there going to be a bit of wetness in the air, a bit of humidity? I've, a, I've actually got a friend that works at the Bureau of Meteorology, and I did ask him about um, a weather prediction one time, and he said, "Okay, I'll, I'll give you the secret tip." And I said, "Great." He said, "Look at the website. There's no secret weather." So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's it was it. currently 19 and mostly sunny. So. There we go. Right now. A bit windy in the dark. evening. Looks a bit dark outside. You're a banana, Rick. Oh, sorry. But, um, uh, well, it's going to be a little bit dewy is anyway, so well, you think that, that will negate a bit of their influence with the tolls? Well, I yeah. guess I just kind of wonder, as far as the in and out, um, just I'm going to argue against my own argument earlier, um, which is that uh, I suppose if we're worried about these tall forwards in the Bulldogs' forward line, the best way to shut them out is to completely restrict supply. Now, the dewy ground will help that. Um, and taking out, I suppose, a rebounding halfback flanker and replacing with someone that can, at the very least, add to congestion at the centre bounces and around the ground, um, that's probably not a bad idea to do that. But if we do that, it probably means it's going to be a very defensive game, I'd suspect, with maybe a lot of inaccuracy as well. Hmm. Do you think it's going to be a, disp- a defensive game? I was expecting it to be an offensive game. I thought they will try and take yeah. it to us. Well, I think um, they'll try and yes. use their pace and, and try and, um, you know, try and... It's almost like we're playing ourselves two years ago, I reckon, because yeah. the dogs remind me of what we were like in 2013. You know, we, we were this young, quick, brash, you know, aggressive, offensive team um, that was capable of having shocking games every now and then. So hopefully the dogs have a shocking game on the Saturday night. But I don't know, they've lost their two best probable um, you know, centre square midfielders in Bontempelli and Pickin. Pickin's probably leading their best and fairest at the moment. Yeah. Bontempelli's had a, an interesting year, but maybe a little bit inconsistent so far. But, yeah, I don't know. I think that's a place where we could also get an advantage this week as well. Yeah, I'd agree with that. What about Lobie in the ruck? Is, uh, we got an advantage there against um, our mate, the very lucky mate, Big Will? Uh, I don't know. I don't know that we do. Well, they're going to nullify each other. Probably. They'll, I mean, they'll probably sort of... nullify each other. I think that's normally what happens when uh, Lovey goes up against Minton. I guess their advantage is they do have Ruffhead in the side, and he's you know done a bit of ruck work in recent weeks, and we probably don't have that you know second ruckman. We're going to have to rely on Westhoff again. <clears> I think. So. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Um, just well, this is a thought that occurred to me during the week, and it's kind of appropriate seeing as we're playing the Bulldogs. But I reckon that the current Port Adelaide side um, is really a lot like the 1997-1998 Western Bulldog side, and you can probably find parallels for pretty much every player in it. I reckon. Um, so you look at someone like uh, the combination we have of Lobby and um, Ryder. That's basically Scott Wind and Luke Darcy in a lot of ways. Um, you go through and you can look at guys like Matthew Croft. That's pretty much Homsch, um Crofty. Yeah, we've got Brett Montgomery playing a, a Matthew Broadbent, basically, or vice versa, I should say. If you go to uh, Brad Johnson, there's probably someone like a Hartlett. Bob, I don't know, we've never got someone more appropriate than that. Rowan Smith, Jace, uh, Jasper Pittard. Um, it's really interesting, and I think that it's a comparison that holds pretty well across most positions, and so then I start thinking about what cause them problems and I think what caused the problem and it's going to be going back to my favourite hobby horse is that their full four or sorry their key forwards were James Cook and Simon Minton Connell um, and that was pretty much the biggest weakness in that side because they had a really solid unit apart from that in those years mm. um, and they just sort of fell down around key forward uh, so we've got Jay Schultz um, <laughs> I don't know he's a, he's, a bit, he's a bit better than those two Jay Schultz he is but he's only one of him and Minton Connell was a very underrated player in my opinion. <laughs> well, hopefully we fare better. But, I mean, Portia, it's really, as you would know, it's really, really difficult unless you completely suck and tank at the bottom to get a, a half-decent key forward through the draft. And ah. are we going? Are we courageous enough to trade for that key forward? Well, no. I'll, I'll say that up front, no, because trading for that key forward realistically doesn't happen unless you're Sydney, pretty much. <clears throat> um mm. 
I think that there's sort of phases we go through, and you've seen it go through the board a few times now, where, um, and it's a circle, unsurprisingly. So we say, we're at the start of this point, we are at right now, we go, we don't have any key position forwards. Um, and so the response from the board right now is, oh, that's okay. We've got Harvey and Shaw, which could be, you know, Damon White, it could be whoever else that's a sort of a second tier key forward that we drafted reasonably late and saying, that's all right, we'll give them time to develop. We're okay for now, we'll give them time to develop. Um, we bottom out a little bit, then we've got high picks for a change. We go, oh, we've really got to pick the best available, really, because we'd shoot ourselves if we drafted a key forward that wasn't any good and we missed on a, a blue chip midfielder. Um, the stage after that is that we go, oh, well, look, we might better trade someone in, because if you've got a really gun midfield, you don't need a really good key forward. You know, there's premiership sides that win without great key forwards. Um, and then we go, hmm, yeah, we need a key forward. We, one we traded in is particularly good. We need to draft key, uh, key position forwards, and so we'll draft a couple late in the draft. Uh, and then we're back to where we are right now. And that seems to be the Port Adelaide cycle of recruiting key position forwards, which is where we never really spend high picks on them, except in rare occasions. And when we do, we don't do it to guarantee that we're going to get a good uh, key position forward. We just sort of take a pot shot here and there and hope for the best. Um, so we talk about how we've been caught in a uniquely bad position. We've had high picks in recent years. We've had high picks in a lot of years in the last 10 years. And really the only one of all of them we used on anything resembling a key forward is the John Butcher pick, which was a, a speculative pick on a player that missed half the season and even then was, what, pick 10? Um, we could have picked at pick four. We could have picked, had a crack at someone like Curley, who has, has turned out is not necessarily a key forward. We could have had a crack at a whole bunch of other uh, early picks in the top 10, and we haven't. So it's a misnomer to say that they're not there or that we haven't had a chance, because we have had chances, and they haven't all been fantastic players. They haven't all been Jesse Hogan, for example, as a potential player. But if you don't have a crack at getting them when they're there, you won't get them. You know, you miss out on guys like uh, Jack Darling and what Jake Carlisle and whoever else that's coming up that's not necessarily a world beater but is still a solid key forward. You miss out on them. And clubs don't want to trade those players. And if they do, they want to get a really big premium because they hold their value, even if they're kind of ordinary, such that someone like Chris Dawes still, when he gets traded, goes for a second-round pick. Um, it's, we're, it's our strategy towards fixing our key position forward problem is really has been piss weak over the journey. And it's something that uh, it's not going to change unless uh, something actually changes at the club. Um, and as supporters, we all go, oh, yeah, we make excuses for not doing it. And then we complain that there's no key position forward, and it's really kind of—it's a self-ruining. Uh, it's a vicious circle. That's the word—a vicious circle. So what's the um, what's going on on Twitter, Maka? But um, mate, yeah. Al has uh, put a question to us: Would we trade for Kurt Tippett? Nah. Yeah, I'd t- I'd take Kurt, but why? Why is Sydney going to let t- Kurt go? It's a very fair question. I would actually. Would we trade? Would we for be Jack able Darling? to uh, afford his salary? I yeah. think. I think Darling's the one that might be um, uh, targeted, or maybe uh, our mate Lysett, who signed a four-year and can't get a game. There's no way we're going to get Jack <laughs> Darling. No, no way no. in the world. Well, <laughs> well, they were talking about it last week, though. They've got such a plethora of tools that they. They won't be able to fit them all in, so there could be an opportunity. <laughs> they don't to... have a plethora of tolls, though. West no. Coast, West no. Coast, yeah. And, and... Well, that's what that's what they were saying on the uh, commentary. They had Mitch Brown out, and there was another one. I thought Darling was out as well, and they were saying, uh, "Where are they going to fit him in?" They, they were talking about maybe having to play him on the wing. The only toll for them that's kicked over ten goals this year is Josh Kennedy. The <laughs> next best is Fraser McInnes, who's kicked four. But is, yep. that, is that their game so plan? They, they don't have a plethora doing... of tolls at all. They've got well, how uh, come they're doing so well? tolls. They've got a plethora of tolls who aren't in the side at the moment. That's mm. that's the thing. So Jack Darling will fit straight back in. McInnes will go back out. You know, Maybe Lysett will get a game at some point and Sinclair will go back out. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's what happens when you listen to Fox footy commentary, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Yeah, but just just on the idea of targeting key position forwards, um, I think one thing we're going to see more and more with free agency, and I think we haven't seen it so much so far, but I think it's because the market hasn't matured, uh, is the same thing we saw with the pre-season draft, which is that uh, there's always, every year, going to be at least one shitty Melbourne team that's got a lot of cap room. 
Um, and mm. so unless we have players specifically saying, I want to go to Port because I think they're going to play in a premiership or I want to go to Port because I'm from South Australia or I want to go to Port because I'm a mad Port fan, I think it's going to be really hard to unseat anyone that is a hotly desired player across the league. Um, obviously, we've had some people that it's kind of an exception to those things, although maybe not. Um, in uh, Matt White, you know, he came across to us and that was great and he had no connection to Port Adelaide previously, but also... He was the best midfielder, or sorry, the best, I suppose, outside midfielder at Richmond in a year that Richmond was, was yeah, okay. Um, so it's not as though we've really taken any coveted players uh, off anyone else in the trade can I, not really specified for us. Can I just us or had interrupt here? Yeah, go can for I just it. interrupt for a sec? Are we, um, are we still previewing the Bulldogs game, or are we, we, have, we divert, have we diverted to a draft trading <laughs> <laughs> this is a liquid Nine. podcast, Rick. It changes it all the time. Bad. I'm just saying, that if there if there is anyone listening, they might they might have just been going, "Yeah, this is really good." Except for I thought we were previewing the Bulldogs game, and uh, yeah, but I'd argue, the... I'd argue that um, when I'm on as a guest, you have to stop me from doing this. So it's really Macca's fault that this has happened. It is. Yeah, well, Macca is supposed to be the adjudicator and keep things right. going. And... Look, who am I to tell Porsche to stop talking? I mean, it's great. Yes, well, sometimes it has to be done. Well, where are we? uh, What's where we at? Is it obviously the cliche? The midfield's going to be the uh, victorious battle this week. The key to winning. No doubt. No doubt. The midfield is our key to winning because we've got Boak, Ebert, Gray, Hartlett, Wingard. You know, Brody, Monfries. You know. I think our midfield is significantly better than what theirs is at the moment with their outs in the side. So if we're going to win the game, we're going to have to win the midfield. I think if uh, if we're not winning the midfield this week, it's going to be very hard to win. Um, I think the key to the dogs is making sure that they're, they're quick. You know, if they use their pace and their good skills, it might cause us a bit of havoc, but... I would expect us to win the hard ball, to win the contested possession and the clearances, and you know that'll put us in good stead. I, mm, I kind of, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I think that the dogs have been doing a fair bit of the hard stuff lately, so I'm not sure that I'd back us to win contested possession. Um, what was it? Mitch Wallace had something like 10 or so contested possessions last week. It was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the way we can try to win, uh, or rather to stop them from really getting anywhere, is to as you said, pressure them. Um, but really we want to pressure them enough that they are off their game and they actually give up the ball or they kick badly to their leading forwards because that's really the biggest link, uh, weakness in that chain is that, um, and we know that it's the same with every side with the key forwards, is that if you can disrupt the delivery to the key forward, then you can beat the key forward. And so midfield's important, but it's really about that pressure we put on any person trying to uh, get possession on our defensive 50 or between our defensive 50 and the centre square area that's going to be really the key for us i think um making well, sure that we well, shut that down and pressure it as much as possible can we can we get away with the uh, pathetic quarter and a half that we had last week which seems to be a bit of a uh, tradition for us this year with abysmal quarters i don't Probably think we can which quarter it is. no we won't because as we saw against gws with the dogs they kicked what eight goals in about 15 minutes and you know it was game over in the first mm. quarter so yeah, you know they're not a side that we can sort of relax or or take for granted because mm-hmm. uh, they do have the ability to, you know, tear sides to pieces. Yeah, they've got nothing to lose, but it's that's the case sometimes with Victorian sides outside of Victoria, uh, particularly mid-table and bottom eight sides, is that uh, if they're behind early, then maybe they just don't care enough to really push give up. To get back into it. Well, not that they, yeah, I suppose they give up, but really that the motivation isn't there as much as when they're playing in front of a home crowd. And so they maybe don't put that same effort into it unless it's a real reason for those points uh, to be important to them. Like, you know, they're on the edge of the eight or going for top four or something like that. Um, yeah. And certainly the Bulldogs some... have been guilty of that before. I always feel like the Victorian clubs, yeah, they, uh, they sometimes come over not caring if they drop the game because they, they more, care more so about the previous, the next game at, at Back in Melbourne, but um, yeah. So I guess for me, I think Ollie Wines is probably going to be our key player, um, Macker, especially because I think you're right about talking about the contested ball, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So I think he's and he was really probably the guy that 
uh, really took the game on in, in that second quarter against Melbourne and, and turned the game around for us with Travis Boak. So I think we're going to probably be re- relying on Ollie uh, once again this week. I'm going to go with Brad Ebert as I think the, the player that's going to be most influential to us because I think the way he plays is the most likely to cause problems for the Bulldogs. Um, not that I'm saying Ollie isn't dangerous, he certainly is, but Brad is that is an interesting mix of inside but also quite good at running lines um, and getting the ball forward uh, pretty well and making himself a, a sideways option as well. So I think that's probably going to be more problematic for them. I'd probably tip him. I'm going to say Westhoff. I think if Westhoff uh, can beat the likes of Fletcher Roberts or Joel Hamling, or you never know, maybe they might put someone like Easton Wood on him. Um, I think if he can get off the leash and you know take eight to ten marks and kick three or four goals, you know, we'll easily win the game. Yeah, or yeah, that's um, that's kind of reminds me of when people say, "Oh, when Andrew McLeod's on fire, you know, you can't stop him." And it's like, well, no, you can't stop him when he's on fire because he is on fire. Um, if you'd stopped him, he wouldn't have been on fire. And it's kind of like that Justin Westcoff does that. We win the game. Well, yeah, no shit, definitely, because he'll only do that if we win the game. Um, <laughs> true, you know. true. Well, let me put it this way. I would expect Westhoff to beat the likes of Fletcher Roberts and Joel Hamling, and if he can't do that, then we won't win. Yeah, that's That's saying enough. the exact same thing, just in a roundabout way. Yep. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> so who, who's going to kick the most goals for us? This week, I'm gonna say yeah. Schultz with six. Schultz with six. Yeah. I'm gonna go Chad Wingard with three. The Chad. That'll be a good matchup, Chad Wingard and Jason Johansson. I think mm. that's gonna be a very good matchup. Because mm. mm. Johansson's probably their best small defender in terms of he's uh, he's turned himself into a very good player and you know creates a lot of their run from half back. So Wingard will have to be on his toes as well. So yeah. do you, would we play Stewart as a lockdown on someone like Murphy and, and try and stop their defensive run? I think maybe Monfrey's on Murphy, to be honest. Yeah? Well, a bit more nimble? Oh, I just think uh, Monfrey's is probably a better uh, defender in terms of that sort of um, forward-tagging sort of role. Would you have a crack mm. at someone like Tom Jonas in that role? Is he fast enough? He's gonna need a lot of body. He's gonna need a lot of body blocking, I reckon, to to mm. get away with that. Maybe. I think Murphy would just run off him all the time. Mm. What would you I think do? Jonas would like... probably be too busy looking after either Stringer or Cramery. I, I reckon well, that's who they'll play. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Jonas or would you? Or would you go a Matt White? Um, and try think... and uh, and try and cut him out, and then and then get Matt to run off him on transition. I don't think that works with Murphy. Yeah, I don't know, but it could be interesting. Well, I mean, okay, well, you look back at the players that we've had that have sort of played that defensive half-forward role the best for Port Adelaide, and it's um, Don Cassisi and Josh Carr, realistically. Those are probably the two best ones. And they're not necessarily the fastest players, but they are persistent and opportunistic, um, and they don't play particularly loose. And I think that that's exactly the sort of player we really want to put in that fit situation, which is kind of why I'm saying Tom Jonas, but it could be someone else. Um, I don't know. Um, Aaron Young, maybe. Why not Aaron Young? He's uh, Yeah, he's got a bit of that. He's had a few opportunist goals in the past, and he can be accountable on uh, a playmaker. That could work. All right, guys. Prediction, who's going to win? Uh, Port Adelaide by, I don't know, let's say 50 Nice. Rick? Yeah, I'm going to go Port six goals. Six goals. I'm quite, okay. I'm quite confident this week. I think we've turned the corner. Okay, that's fair enough. I'm going to say Port by 28 points, and as I said, Schultzy kicking six. Good yeah. work. Fair enough. That's a, this is a bit om- ominous with all comfortable <laughs> margins. It is. This is uh, never oh. good. <laughs> all dogs by 10 then, I take it. Uh, I guess my main concern with the Jonas one is that, um, sorry, um, with um, Schultz kicking six, is that I think that for us to win, we probably have to be very diverse in how we score goals because that'll put the most pressure on them to um, be defensive as opposed to using one target. So okay. that'll, yeah, that, if, that would be my only criticism there. If Schultz, if Schultz kicks six goals, we usually kick a pretty big score. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. So you'd, you'd think we'd have numerous goal kickers and uh, be kicking way over 100 points if he's kicking six goals. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Mm. Well, let's move on and talk about the SANFL briefly. Um, Port plays Central at Elizabeth on Saturday afternoon. We've got a 84-56 win-loss record. The last time we met was uh, late last year when Central's won by three points with a, uh, a goal to Kyle Jenner just after the siren. Um, Billy Frampton will be playing his first game, which is great news. Yeah. Um, will we have high expectations or we're coming off the injury list? I guess we can't really, can we? Probably not high expectations, but it'll be interesting to see how he plays and, and the type of uh, player that he is. I guess we've heard good things about his sort of aggressiveness around the mm. packs and that sort of thing. So it'll be That's interesting true. to see how he goes. He is, a, he is a Ruckman first and foremost, isn't he? Yeah. He is a Ruckman, yeah. Yeah. So, From the sound of it, he's um, a Wilmington-esque Ruckman. Right. Uh, an 18-year-old Wilmington-esque Ruckman? Yeah, why not? Yeah, so he's uh, he probably won't do too much because he'll probably be this young, skinny kid sort of. Uh, we've got a plethora yep. of tools in the SAFL, though, don't we? Yeah. We do, yep, but uh, probably too many, to be honest, but... No, it's a downside. There's not much we can do about it. Yeah, it's a downside. You just have to play them all in the seniors, isn't it? You can't put them in the reserves. That's but, right. Butcher's uh, back as well. Shaw's uh, missing with the groin, so that's, uh, that's a shame for him. I've, yeah. I've got a bit of a cult following for Logan Austin. I reckon he's going to be a bit of a player. Yep. That'd be nice. And I still think he, much to Macca's disgust, Porsche, because Macca's already penciled him in for... Centre half back, oh, but I I see a little bit of a forward in him, and maybe that's what we're going to have to do if we go back to our forward discussion. Maybe experiment and, and try one of these plays and see how they do go. I guess if you're looking at um, the sort of successful switch players in the AFL that have gone, say I don't know, full forward to full back or vice versa, it's pretty much always forward to back. Um, and when it is back to forward, it's usually someone that's played forward significantly as a junior or in their early years. And that's the only two I can think of. The only one I can really think of there is Alistair Lynch. Um, it's it's not a long list, I don't reckon. And, you know, on the other no. side, guys like Chad Corns, Justin Lepich, you could just go on for ages naming forwards that have gone back and been quite good. Jordan Ruff, mm. that's the other one, sorry. He started in the AFL in the back line, but again, he'd had a forward junior period. So uh, unless they've actually played forward already, like someone's already seen that they've got that potential to play as a key forward, we probably won't have them playing key forward realistically at AFL level. Um, yeah, so but it might be, I don't know uh, Logan Austin's background in that respect. Do you guys, or? I have no I th- idea. I think he's played a bit of forward footy at, uh, in the ACT and that sort of thing, but nothing okay. too dramatic, I don't no, think. No, no, because he was pick- yeah, he's pretty much picked as a backman. So that... Yeah probably put, might put a bit of a cap on it. There's usually a reason why you wouldn't pick someone as a forward. Um, I think it's probably the harder position to fill in most ca- in most sides, I would have thought. Um, and our mate, our mate Arch is back this week. He is. Yeah. Which is great news. Get a, get a bit of form back up and, and get a few more games, hopefully. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. He's, look, I know that um, he's pretty much... He's been a good player, but the thing that everyone would be thinking is that he's got a that fantastic handball, and that's a really great tactical weapon. So I really hope he gets the rest of his game up to scratch because that can open so many doors um, for Couldn't the side individually. Yeah. Imagine you, you know, you're in the contested pack there, and you can flick out a 30 metre handball. <laughs> There's not many players that have got the ability to do that, and like you said, that can really just break yeah. the game open for you, isn't it? Well, it's, yeah, it's someone not just... made. The... Yeah. Not, yeah, not just the ability, but it's, it's the vision to be able to do it as well, um, to be able to see yeah. through traffic and work out exactly where you've got to get it to. I mean, that, that's a huge talent if he can develop that. that that's unique yeah. in the AFL. Absolutely. I think he's got the most potential out of that sort of next or, you know, sort of second string inside mid group of Arch, Moore, Young, maybe Kane Mitchell as well. So I reckon he's definitely got the most potential. It's just a matter of whether he gets his, uh, his opportunity to show it. Yeah. Well, I guess it's one of those sort of questions you could ask right now is would you have picked Brendan Archie potentially over Sam Gray this week? No, because Archie's coming back from injury. Yeah, okay, fair enough. If he wasn't, though, would you? No, because he's not a probably, small forward. Probably. Yeah, I think I'd, so too. Yeah, I, I would probably be playing Archie ahead of Sam Gray. But yeah. That's just yeah, me. But, 
Yeah, well. No, he's not a I'm... small forward, but he he has regularly played as that sort of medium-sized forward in the SA NFL. So yeah. right, he, well, can, he can play that role. Here's another a quick one-word answer to this one. People, I guess, were questioning Archie's spot on the list. Um, now halfway through the season, would you sign him on for another year at this point in time, yes or no? I'd yes. wait until round 20. You can't. You've got to make a decision now. That is um, not true. Because you're doing your list management <laughs> and planning. Yeah, well, your planning is kind of... Uh, this was at this a point simple year, yes. Which... This was a simple yes or <laughs> no. This kind of time of year would still allow for changes in form and development in the second half of this season. Yes um, or no? Would you be signing the arch now? <laughs> well, I guess I'd say no, and then I'd still consider signing Mac towards the end of the year. So there you go, no. <laughs> Mac, <Macca>? has he <laughs> shown yes. enough that you would give him another shot? I I would give him another year. Yeah, I would. I think he's coming on, and he's. I think Nathan Cracker is a great example that, you know, it's a lot of people take different time spans to develop, and I guess this is why they they're going to the mature age players in the in the leagues, and and should we be jumping into some of these players so early and so young? But I guess we've committed we've committed to Brendan as a underage player, and. This is his fourth year in our system now. It would it'd almost be a little bit of folly to uh, to give up when he's starting to show more and more glimpses and a, a bit more consistency. I, I think it would be worth giving him a I, little I, bit more time. I kind of agree, but you also have to keep in mind the idea that you shouldn't chase your losses. Um, so at this point, yeah, he's showing enough, um, but if he starts showing a bit less, then you'd probably have to look at... Mm, um, mm. And it might be that by the time he's 25, he's a fantastic player or he's got a lot of potential. But we're playing with an elite list. It's very restricted. We've already seen just this week how restrictive it is when we can't have Nathan Cracker on the senior list. Um, and so having a player developing for five years is really a long way from the ideal um, for an AFL list because it is so small and because there is the possibility of just turning, over, turning through the list and uh, picking out those guys at state league level that um, have developed a bit later actually have and giving them a crack uh, rather than continuing to rely on guys that have sort of been very slow to develop. So what's going on around the AFL this weekend, guys? I think there's a couple of interesting games. I guess uh, the one for me that I'm most interested in would be North Melbourne versus West Coast. It'll be interesting to see if West Coast can beat North away from home and uh, look for North Melbourne. It's probably last chance saloon to... Uh, have a bit of a crack at the finals, I would think. If they lose this, they, you know, they've probably got to win eight or nine games out of their last, you know, eleven or twelve, and I don't think they're capable of doing that. No, I, I yeah, I, I'm not sure that that's necessarily. Uh, yeah, North Melbourne might win, I suppose. I don't think so they're going to really go anywhere this year, though. I'm still expecting but, West Coast to to drop off. Yeah, yeah, no. but maybe they won't. Maybe they won't. And look, North always brought that... back the big guns. They brought back Ben Jacobs, so they should be right. There's, a, there's always that one bolter that makes the top four. Maybe West Coast is that bolter this year. Probably, yep. Hate yeah. to say it because I'm not a big fan of Adam Simpson, but anyway, he's a, he's the Leon Cameron of the West. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> That's quite a strange statement. Well, I find Leon Cameron very... Arrogant and obtuse and boring and oh, you mean Adam as a coach? Simpson. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Adam Simpson probably feels that same niche to me, but just on the Western Seaboard instead of the Eastern Seaboard. That's yeah. what I meant by that. So yeah. but, I, I uh, guess if you're going to categorise coaches, there's sort of like there's good coaches like Hinkley, then there's sort of um, ordinary coaches that you forget about instantly, and then there's Coaches like um, uh, Simpson, where you just think, I find him kind of annoying. And then there's the Scott brothers, who are the most annoying coaches automatically. Is that pretty much how we split yeah. it up? Or? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, could probably use that analogy. And that's almost pretty true. I, yeah. would, uh, I would go with that. But then you've also got the category of the coaches that you pity, you know, like Justin Lethbridge. I, I sort of feel sorry for him. Yeah, he, Why? He, because he's sort of... He's going to try and help out his club, and but it's always it's that car crash that you can just see coming. 
you know mm. it's you know it's not going to be a success and but they go with that hope that it's going to it's going to work and uh, it's just going to end in tears I kind of think that with Brisbane, the car already crashed and Leftwich is trying to pull out the bodies before they die and the car explodes. Yeah, but see, that's that's what you, that's what he's thinking. But really, yeah. he's still he's still in the car. Oh, he's gonna yeah. he's gonna be one of he's gonna be one of the victims that has to be pulled out. Unfortunately. Yeah. Fair enough. Look, I, I don't disagree. I think that the problems that have been at the Brisbane Lions have been evident for a long time in their culture and how they've gone about everything that they've done off-field. Um, there was a whole period where, what was it, um, Alistair Lynch was re- making recommendations to the board and through a company that was also owned by Michael Voss during the time Michael Voss was coach. Um, there was a lot of real weird conflicts. Um, decisions like we're willing to let Michael Voss learn on the job uh, at a time when Gold Coast was being introduced, which meant that even if the Brisbane Lions finished terribly, uh, they'd get no draft picks and no real chance to develop the list. Um, agreeing to do things like trade for Brendan Favola, which was really a train wreck before it even happened. Um, mm. They've made a lot of very arrogant decisions for a long time, um, and that club culture, I'd say it's probably as bad as Fort Adelaide's was about six years ago. Um, so a head coach, any head coach, I don't think can change that independently. Um, and I haven't heard about any significant change happening in Brisbane to correct that at all. I don't know if there's been a lot of Would- would um, using the Brendan Favola moving to Brisbane would yeah. targeting someone like a Charlie Dixon be a poor man's version of trying to do the same thing and it, with recruiting Brendan Favola like targeting Charlie Dixon who's nowhere near as good as Brendan Favola but seems to have some issues. Um, I think that Favola was more um, set in his ways. So Brendan Favola, I think he was very unfortunate in how he progressed through his club. He was basically the only good player at a time when Carlton were the most shit they've ever been. Uh, And Carlton being Carlton, you know, your best player you always sort of chum up to and tell him he can do anything. And so he was given free licence to basically live his life as a complete hedonist. And it was completely supported by everyone that was working with him, I would say. Uh, Certainly all of the fans and certainly I would say a lot of the the key supporters, as they say, like uh, John Elliott, I'm sure they would all have pretty much boys will be boys point of view. And so he Mm. kind of... He was, there, he was at that club at Carlton for almost 10 years, wasn't it, or close to it. Um, yeah. He had his character well and truly put onto rails that were very self-destructive. Um, Dixon, I'd say, has probably got a bit more opportunity to turn around, and I don't think he would have had the same sort of uh, affirmation that, oh, yeah, now you're doing it, you're a traditional footballer, it's fine, don't leave us because you're our, our only best player. Um, I think that it's probably a slightly less... Uh, slightly more potential to turn around. For Bowler, he sort of got kind of ruined by Carlton because of their circumstances, I think. Our message me, Portia, and said his wife loves you. Oh, thank she's you. A, she's a big fan. And, uh And he looked up Logan Austin and he played forward in his juniors. Oh, there we go. There, go. That, there so we are. Let's good play the guy bloody forward and see what he can do. Well, I mean, he's not playing at all at the moment because he's injured. But, yeah. <laughs> Oh, he's young oh, and that tall. Stop him. <laughs> That's right. Play anyway. Toughen up. Yeah. Princess. That's it. Well, look, we might call it uh, quits there, I reckon, for this evening. Yeah. Yeah, it was great once again having another draft trading thread uh, show. It was awesome. <laughs> oh, you never yeah. ask me on for the actual one, so I've got to fit him in when I can. Oh, um, <laughs> And I'm not here next week, next Monday, Macca. So who you got filling in for me? You found someone yet? I think Blaggett's going to come on, which is great, right. and uh, still looking for another um, guest as well. I'm sure you. I'm sure if you can't find anyone, Porsche will uh, fill the void of me if you need be. Tribe hasn't been on for a while, has he? What's that? Tribe uh, could not come on on Monday night, so oh dear. Um, we will find someone else. I mean, I'm certainly happy to come on and have the the Jasper Fitard critique session. That'd be fantastic. Hey, hey, just look, just because I'm not going to be there, you know, I've got something on, doesn't mean you can just start bagging out knowing that you're not going to get any reprisal. Oh, uh, look, to fill Rick's shoes, all you've got to do is talk about Jasper Pittard for 20 minutes, Brendan Archie for 10 minutes, and Logan Austin for five minutes, and then you're set. And what you had for dinner. That's it. Yeah, Yeah. and talk about dinner. Tin spaghetti. And And, and spooky chair. Yeah, well, actually, if anyone's still listening, I'd like to um, I'd like to hear some tweets about 
what's better, tin spaghetti or baked beans? And has anyone actually tried to make their own homemade baked beans and what it tastes like? I'm intrigued. On that note, we will uh, we will call it quits. I think. Yeah. Coffee time! Yeah. <laughs> Get in the pit. Ah! Oh, they've got three in about five minutes here. Well done. Could you do it again? It's going and going and going home. He's kicked three. Unbelievable. 